It is good to see you today. Thank you for staying right through the announcement time. When you had opportunity to slip out the back, we appreciate you staying here. It is always a joy to share. I, I know, I, y'all know I get nervous, but I really enjoy the opportunity, and I thank my pastor for allowing me to share today. The prayer card is significant. I hope that we're bathing. I hope you're in, encouraged to pray through uh, these next several months in our church. These are significant months for us. I want to just say a word of of support, I guess, to phase three of our facilities. I I'm thrilled for the possibility of a new and functioning fellowship hall with a kitchen that works well for us and increased space, and I'm excited about that. I think that's going to be fantastic. I think it'll promote our fellowship. It'll encourage us. We'll have opportunity to do a variety of things there, and it'll be right out here, easy access for all of our members. Uh, I'm also very excited about uh, increased adult Sunday school space. We are Several of our classrooms are well past capacity. Others are are meeting uh, at, at the limit of capacity and no room to, to move forward in less than ideal situations. I've always said let's get the best possible pl- space for our children, our preschoolers, and our youth. Our adults will meet anywhere, and they will, and you have, and so I appreciate that. But I'm excited about increasing space for our adults. But to be honest, I'm most excited about our children's space, a dedicated children's space for school-age children. Uh, first grade through fifth grade, and it'll be what is presently our fellowship hall, and it'll be a space to call their own. We presently have uh, first and second graders meeting in a preschool room. We have uh, we have our older children meeting right in the middle of adults across the hall from them. Maybe adults my age, and down the hall from them will be their parents and and their friends. And it's it's not a space to call their own. So I'm thrilled for that. I am. I'm ecstatic for our children and the possibilities there. In fact, someone on, on one of the pre-committees was doing some visiting around looking at some children's spaces for possibilities and ideas for us. And she said, had I known other places had these nice facilities, we probably would have joined there. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that that would be a good idea, but I want you to know we're a little bit behind the eight ball on that. So we want a nice facility. It doesn't have to be extravagant, but a nice facility. And I look forward to that for our children. So completely thumbs up from Colbert, and I'm excited about the possibilities. Continue to pray. Today, we're looking at the second of the uh, a series on the altars, and the altars, today is the altar of our life, and we're looking in Galatians 2.20, and we'll get there in a second, but, and I know I've shared this illustration before, but does anybody remember green stamps or top value stamps? Can you remember those? Well, I tell you, you know, this is what happened. Thank you all for raising your hands, some of you all. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is what would happen. I'll, I'll tell some of our younger people. You would go to a grocery store or to a service station. In fact, it, it really was a service station. You'd run over a little wire out in, in front and it'd ring a bell and someone would come out there and pump the gas into your car and check under your hood and wash your windows and all that. And I know, I know that's nostalgic, but that's the way it used to be. And, uh, in those service stations, you'd buy a few dollars of gas and you would get stamps and they would be S and H green stamps or top value stamps there were probably some others but i recall those two and if you spent five dollars you'd get five stamps five little ones or or uh, then you'd build those up and if you spent fifty dollars you'd get fifty and you could get a fifty a one stamp fifty or there were tens and i believe there were ones and then you'd get a book just a a paper little almost like a coloring book that had spaces and you would lick those stamps and stick them in there. And when you got 50 on a page, that was a full page. It was a great page. Uh, it was a great page when you just put a 50 one in right in the middle. 
that one's done. You go to the next one, you might, you might get five tens in that one. I guess my grandparents didn't have anything for us to do, but that was the job. We, our job, every time we went to our grandparents, they'd pull out all those stamps, and they'd be top value and green, and we would spend, oh, they're licking us and have that terrible taste in your mouth. And it felt like you were making money. You were getting something of value for absolutely nothing. Nothing. Little pieces of paper stuck in there. And when we got to seminary, this, this began in the 30s into the, about the 80s. When we got to seminary in the early 80s, it was a redemption center, a green, green stamp redemption center right down the street from us on Seminary Drive. And you could go there and carry books of stamps and exchange them for a gift. And if you lived in a town that didn't have a redemption center, you'd get a catalog. And you'd look through that. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe our card table and chairs we got with green stamps. I, I, Suzanne's not here to correct me on that. I'm sure she will later. But I, I'm pretty sure we got our card table and chairs with green stamps. That was getting something for nothing. You can't beat that exchange. You just can't beat it. Unless, of course, you've exchanged your life for Christ's life then you'll understand that exchange. Because in and of ourselves, we don't have much value to offer God the Father. But through Christ, we have great value. Think about this. The greatest exchange ever made was our sin-ravaged, self-righteous, soul-lost life was exchanged for Christ's sinless, holy, blameless life. That's an exchange. That's a wonderful exchange. And, and as I was writing this, I got to thinking, you know, you may not understand it, but you do. You understand it clearly because you know that's what's happened to you. You can sense that. You know that that was quite the exchange. Is that right here? Anyway, we'll keep going. <laughs> don't, don't let that bother you. First Peter 3.18 tells us that beautifully. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous. The, excuse me, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. That's the exchange. Christ was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. It said he did that for us. He brought life to us. That is the great exchange. That's the possibility. Last week, Chris concluded in the uh, service of the altar of the cross, he concluded with these two questions. How could we not surrender to him? And how could we not bow before him? Those were the two questions he asked right toward the end of the service. This week's message tells us really how we can do that. If you've got your Bibles, turn in there to Galatians 2.20. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. I didn't really grow up in the church. I had to learn all those things. I still have trouble finding some places in the Bible. But that's why they make an index, by the way. In Galatians 2.20, one of the great, great scriptures of of, uh, salvation, it says this. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me read that again. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's exactly where we're going to center some time today. That's what we're going to look at today as we think about the altar of your life, the altar of my life, the altar of our life. If you really think about it, we have received the path, the person, and the power of Christ in the exchange. We have received the path, the person, and the power of Christ. 
So our response, trust him. Trust him. We have received the path, the person, and the power of Christ. Trust him. That first sentence of that scripture says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ's death, and really it encompasses the sinner's death. You know, when in the baptistry pool, you hear that. I've been buried with Christ, made to walk in newness of life. We have been buried with Christ, and we have a new life, a new path. We've been set on a new, in a new direction. Three things came to my mind that uh, really are no longer representative of us and no, no longer are we held under. Uh, the first one is we are no longer under the law. We are no longer under the law. Yet I, I'll have to admit that I spend a lot of my time trying to check off the boxes of my life, the things that I feel like I should do, I ought to do. And I know there are a lot of things in your life you should do, uh, but not for salvation, not for a chance to... Uh, to do the, uh, just to be right. I'm made righteous. I'm made righteous through the blood, the shed blood of Christ. So we are no longer under the law. Please know that. And Paul even says, if we were still subject to the law, then Christ's death would have been in vain. Christ's death would have been in vain. We are no longer under the law. So I encourage you this, to live a grace-filled life. Lay your life on the altar. Live a grace-filled life. Lay your life on the altar. The second thing, by the way, this list is not an exhaustive list. It's more representative, but these are the three things that came to my mind. No longer under the law. Secondly, we are no longer subject to the old self and the old flesh. We are no longer subject to the old self and the old flesh. Um, I know I don't look like it, but I'm a granddad now. I I know I look young, and it's hard for you all to think about that. And I know I've told you before, even when uh, I've always actually looked a lot older than I am. And... uh, Something about this hair, I guess. But um, even when our kids were young and we'd take them somewhere, not with Suzanne, but with me, the people at the counter, I remember at a McDonald's one time, a, a lady saying, isn't it nice when your granddad takes you out, talking to little Jordan? And Jordan kept looking at me like, Dad, you're going to tell her? Dad, you're going to tell her? Dad, you're going to I didn't tell her, no. In fact, I was hoping to get to send your coffee. Uh, and uh, <laughs> if that would have worked out. But we're, a gra- we're grandparents now, and we have one little grandson. His name's George. George Rudolph, of all names, uh, and uh, I know, uh, anyway, that's another host. I'm Rudolph. I, it's hard to, I don't know why they kept that name, but they did. James, easy, great. Rudolph, not so much. But anyway, he'll be strong. He'll be strong. Um, <laughs> at Christmas, he'll be mentioned a lot. George was pretty slow to walk. He's about 15 months now. He's walking fine, but he was pretty slow to walk. The reason... He liked the safety of holding on. He could, you could, you'd pry his little stubby fingers off one hand, and by the time you got that off, he held the other hand. And he had good balance. He was fine. But he loved the security of holding on. He would just hold on for dear life. And to be honest, we, we kind of, I don't know, this is not a good idea, those that are writing your parenting books, but, you know, Oreos are a great tempter. And, you know, for an Oreo, a kid will walk a mile. And uh, so... Uh, <laughs> He was able to pry loose for an Oreo, and, uh, so, but he would hold on, and you could not pry him off fast enough. Let me encourage you. Don't be slow to let go of the old life. Don't be slow. Be quick to let go of the old life. We are no longer subject to the old self and the old flesh. Let go of it. Lay it aside. Let it be. Don't continue to grasp onto it and reach back and hold on to it. Don't do that. That's a mistake. Don't do that. We are a new creation. So I encourage you to lay your life on the altar. 
Again, lay your life on the altar. The third thing I've thought about is we are no longer subject to this world. We are not. And yet somehow we spend a lot of our time trying to satisfy cravings of this world. We, we spend way too much time doing that, work, looking at the world standards and trying to live up that. Now I have to tell you this. I used to like sushi. And I say I used to. Not the nice, fancy, exotic type. Just the type that you go to the grocery store and the meat counter and that little plastic container it's about a meal or sometimes a meal and a half i used to really like that and then, you know it's fairly healthy i say fairly healthy it's it, it's fairly fairly low in calories and pretty satisfying and and uh it's already ready and and uh, so i used to like it that really all changed one time i didn't eat the entire package and uh, put it in the refrigerator and really i was thinking it was the next day but it might have been two or three days later and i finished that i know that was the last day i've eaten sushi uh, it did not take me long to discover in a very rude fashion that that has spoiled. And uh, I was very, very ill uh, for quite a while, for an entire afternoon, if I remember correctly. It might have been an entire evening. It was a rude awakening, uh, and I discovered this fact. Two things came out of the encounter. To be honest, without being overly gross, a lot of things came out of that encounter. But, <laughs> but at least two things came out of that encounter. Uh, firstly... I can tell you this, don't ever save sushi. Just go ahead and eat it. <laughs> don't save it. Do not save sushi. Secondly, I have completely lost my appetite for sushi. I don't believe I've had a single bite of that since. Um, now, I'm not saying God did that, <laughs> but that was a reminder that there are some old things that you can let go. Some, something I used to have an appetite for, no longer. I am not in any way interested in eating sushi, certainly not out of those little packs at the grocery store, and certainly not one that's been in my refrigerator more than five minutes. Um, I have found that I no longer have an appetite for that. So I encourage you this way. The fact that we're no longer subject to this world, let me encourage you to develop a new appetite. Develop an appetite for the things that matter, the things that are true and honorable and just. Develop a new appetite. Lay your life on the altar. God can do that for you. If you have uh, struggles with an old appetite, an old self, or the law, let me encourage you to uh, ask the Lord to replace those things with things of value. Those things have no value for us anymore. Um, I guess really a good question for each of us, and I often ask this, is, is there anything in your life that's keeping you from being closer to God? Is there anything in your life, anything, if, if something came to your mind just then, that may be something you need to lay aside. And listen, it could be a good thing. It could be a very good thing. But if it's not the best thing, if it's keeping you from a stronger relationship with Christ or with God, you should lay that aside. So I encourage you. We're not under the law. We're, not under, we're not, no longer subject to the old self and the old flesh. We're no longer subject to this world. Lay your life on the altar. Lay your life on the altar. The scripture goes on and says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Um, you know, the fact that we, we, we live our life uh, our, by faith in someone other than ourselves. We don't have our faith in ourselves anymore. Those who come to Christ, uh, we have a person to put our faith in. By faith really means, confirms that we, are na- that we now trust Christ. By faith means that we now trust Christ. A few, I think a few years ago... Rob may, may correct me, but, and I've told this before because Rob has told me. I, I might have been doing the Goliath sermon and talking about how tall I was. And Rob said I stood on that chair, one of those chairs, and it began to bow underneath it. 
And he, and Rob said, I could not hear a word you're saying for thinking you're about to go through. But I have also stood on one of those chairs to talk about faith. Faith requires some action. And if you can, you can say that chair will hold you, and it did that day. I'm not trying it today, by the way. And uh, you can say that chair will hold you, but until you sit in it or stand on it, until you take action on it, that's what our faith requires. It requires some action. And uh, so my faith concerns that we now trust Christ, the Son of God. We don't trust ourselves. We trust him. A few things came to mind. We trust him to forgive our sins. We trust him to be our advocate. We trust him to be our atonement. We trust him to be our guide. We trust him to never forsake us. Uh, There's an old but really good illustration. I believe Billy Graham used it, so that tells you how old it is. But it's really a, a, a good picture of the fact that we no longer trust ourselves. If I were to die tonight and were to stand before the, uh, the, the mighty judge, God Almighty, the supreme judge of the universe, and he'd ask, James Coberth, why should I let you into my heaven? You are a guilty sinner, so how do you plead? Well, my first response would be, I plead guilty, Your Honor. I am guilty. I am a sinner. But my advocate, Jesus Christ, who's standing there beside me, speaks up and says, Your Honor, it's true that James is a terrible sinner. Uh, in fact, he's, he's very, he's guilty. Now, this is, at this point, I wish he wouldn't go into all the details, but Christ knows, knows my very weaknesses, my very, my very sinful nature. He says he's guilty. And uh, so, however, is what Christ says, However, Father, I died for him on the cross and rose from the dead. James has put his faith in me and trust in me and for all I've done on the cross. He is a believer. I died for him, and he has accepted me as my substitute, for his substitute. He has accepted me for his substitute. So the Lord turns to me and says, James, is that true? And I respond to him and say, yes, sir, that is the truth. I'm claiming the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me of my sins. I put my faith in Jesus to save me for all eternity. That's what your word promised, and I believe it with all my heart. So God responds this way, acquitted. James Colbert is acquitted. Set him free. That's what Jesus did for us. He stood up for us when I was a guilty person before the judge, and Jesus says, uh, your father, uh, his father, your honor, he's put his trust in me. And so God says, you're acquitted. You know, the great thing about that, after that, then I get to go home with the judge. <laughs> I, I go to heaven. I go to heaven with the judge. What a great, great ending to a wonderful story. Glory. I, all I can say to that is glory. God has done something for me through Christ, the shed blood of Christ, that has allowed me to live for all of eternity, not of my own worth, not of my own value or anything I've done. It says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That entire scripture again says this, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then the last little verse there, last little part of this, is who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, the fact that God loves us gives us the power to trust Jesus. The fact that he reached to us first. He loves us. Uh, It it is clear that he loves us. We can trust Jesus because he loves us. We can trust him because he loves us. He's given us the power and the capacity to trust him because of the love he's given to us. John 3.16, obviously one of the great verses of salvation. For God so loved the world, for God so loved James, that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he gave himself for you and for me. Jesus gave himself for you and for me. Just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus gave himself for me. 
That's a hard to believe truth, but it is absolutely the truth. You know, I've heard God's voice in my life a few times. And when I say voice, not an audible type voice, but I've heard him speak to me. I've known he's, he spoke to me. And, you know, a lot of times we talk about when we're called in the ministry, we hear, hear God call us into the ministry, a, a full-time vocational ministry. And, and I certainly heard that as a, as a sophomore when I was in college. Uh, but it wasn't the first time. The first time I heard him was I was a little eight-year-old boy in Huntsville, Alabama. And, uh, and uh, my dad and mom lived a very busy life. My, uh, and uh, but we had we had joined a little church nearby there, uh, and my mom and dad had joined Hillwood Baptist Church there on the south side of Huntsville, and uh, but we didn't go very often. My parents worked six days a week. We all crashed on on Sundays, and but someone had the audacity, the bold audacity to ask my mom to come teach in Vacation Bible School, and my mom agreed and took all three of us with her. And as a little eight-year-old boy in vacation Bible school, I think it was a two-weeker in those days. I know I'm telling my age. Uh, I think it was a two-weeker. And uh, at that vacation Bible school, I really, for the first time, heard Christ calling me to him. It was, it was the time, it was the week that I say that I came to know Christ in a very real and personal way, that I asked Christ into my heart. That was the first time. Then as a 15-year-old teen, I really heard, heard God talk to me again, and again, not audibly, but in a way that was very real and, and I believe very truthful. You know, last time I preached here, it was Father's Day. And uh, I think I told you, I don't, I don't know how many were here. My dad, he was an absolute failure as a businessman. He was a champion as a dad. Uh, he, he was, a, a, again, I've told you the story before, but he was a traveling salesman, sold band instruments, musical instruments, went to little bitty towns, little towns like uh, where Kelly Morrow's dad was a band director and would go there. And so in those towns, instead of them having to drive to Montgomery or, or Birmingham or, or Valdosta or somewhere, uh, the, the music man would bring the horns and the instruments into that little town and the people would come and they'd try them out and they could buy them right there in the band hall or right there in the cafeteria. And, and uh, he loved that. He traveled school to school and, and all over South Alabama and, and North Georgia and, I mean, North uh, Florida and South Georgia. He was an excellent salesman. But at some point in time, he thought, hey, why am I giving my share to the owner? I need to be an owner. So he bought a music store in Huntsville. He bought one. And went in half with a fella, of all things, a fella who was a mailman. I don't know what that guy knew about music. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. They bought a store together. And that store, in six years, went right to the bottom. They bought a, a piano store and a music store. What my dad discovered is he was a terrible manager. He was a great salesman, but a terrible manager. But what he said to us that made him a champion of a dad is that he, he confessed before us when those businesses went right into bankruptcy he said i have failed you told us as a family i was 15 my sister was 13 my other sister was 11 he said and told my mom i have failed you as a dad and as a spiritual leader of our home never again will we put a higher priority on anything in our life than christ so we moved to a new town we found a new church uh, and my dad lived transparently before us as he began to grow in his faith we'd never seen that and he modeled for us. And, you know, I know some of you talk about you never, you know, if they were having it at church, you were there. And it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, training union, Wednesday night, youth choir, you know, it was everything. I have never been more blessed than those years that my dad transparently lived before us. A failure as a businessman, a champion as a dad. Uh, I heard God's voice in those days. I heard him speak to me that, that my life was not my own. 
it was not mine to do what I wanted to. My dad had tried that, and I had seen it up close and personal. It was not my own. It was God's life in me. It was Christ in me, and I heard that as a 15-year-old kid. Then the third time I really heard that is when I was a sophomore in college, and I felt the call of the ministry, full-time Christian service. Um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't swap it for anything. I love the church. I love everything about the church. I know it's the bride of Christ, and I know also the bride isn't always presents herself in the most beautiful fashion. But I love the church, and uh, I love serving the church, and I was called to be a church staff member. Now, a lot of times, people always want to know, well, are you going to be a preacher or a singer? You know, that was the only two options in those days. <laughs> and, uh, well, neither one. And that, that, that's proven to be true. Both of those have proven to be true, by the way. I can't preach or sing. But I felt called to be an associate. I felt called to be a, a staff person. And I've been a student minister, and I've, I've been a minister of education and administrator, and, and here I'm a discipleship pastor. Here they just keep changing my name until they find something I can do well, and that's fine. We haven't found that, but every two, couple of years I get a new title. I enjoy it. I enjoy everything about it. I like to think about I don't like to think about it, but people say that, that, that you've surrendered to the call. That was the terminology used, particularly back when I, was, when I sensed the call to ministry. I really like the term affirming the call better, the fact that uh, I have fir- affirmed what God has said in my life and, and, and said to me in my life. And, and I know for many of you, you've done the very same thing, not necessarily vocational ministry, but you've affirmed that God set you aside for, for good works in the places he's put you, in the home that you live in, in the neighborhood you live in, the places you go to work and school, that God has set you aside. And that I know for many of you, and I want to encourage all of you, to know that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So that's a challenge for you. That's a challenge that, uh, that he loves us and that he's given himself for us. So we don't keep ourselves to ourselves. We are not our own. We are Christ. So I encourage you to give yourself to him. Give yourself to him. That's exactly what I'm asking you to do today. To lay your life on the altar of Christ. To lay your life on the altar. To be 100% Christ. To allow him to fully indwell you. The power of his Holy Spirit to live moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year in your life. Give yourself to him. The scripture says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray together. Father, today we fully want to commit ourselves to you. We realize that we've chosen our own ways many times and probably still will. But Father, we know the fullness of your life is ours. And so we pray that you'll continue to make it clear to us the path and the person and the power of Christ. So, Father, I pray that today might be a day that we each renew uh, a new commitment to give all of ourselves to you, that you might work in our life, that you might make the difference in the world that you've put us in. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.